All right, children, now is the time. Yes, you are blessed to be dismissed. So kids, off to kids' church. All right, thank you, worship team. Just before we get into the message, why don't you bow in a word of prayer with me? Oh, Lord, I confess that that last song was both beautiful, meaningful, and really hard to sing. And Lord, uh, my heart breaks for those today who perhaps feel like I often do, that I say, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I pray for those today who are feeling like they would love it if you would move mountains in their life and answer the prayers they're crying out to you for. And it just seems like it's not happening. And it's so hard to sing a song like that. And yet, God, we offer it as a prayer because we do believe that you are over all. We do believe that you are almighty, all-powerful God. And so, Lord, we just ask for your mercy and grace in our lives that where we doubt, that where we struggle, that you still invite us to bring all those doubts and struggles to you and that you want to touch us and heal us and encourage us and move us closer to you. So, Lord, we just offer this praise and worship to you, Lord, these truths that we sang. And, Lord, again, where we're struggling with unbelief, help us, Lord. We do worship you. We do praise you. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you will encourage your people today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are in week two of Advent, and today we're going to talk about waiting for the light. Now, let's talk a little bit about waiting. Who here likes waiting for anything? I doubt anyone will put up your hand, or if you are, you're just jesting me. I was trying to think of what is the most annoying thing to have to wait for. And Oh, yeah, spring. I heard that. That's true. Okay, that, that wins. This is what I was going to say. The most annoying thing for me that I have to wait is when you like have to phone some kind of government agency or something like that and you get put on hold, right? And then the first thing they say to you is, your call is valuable to us. <laughs> you might have to wait for the next hour, but it's really valuable. Anyway, I don't know about you, but I hate that kind of waiting. Now, I, I have to confess that I'm a pretty pathetic waiter in the sense of being someone who doesn't wait well. And you know, one of the beauties for, those, for all of you here living in Swift and area is, you know, not living in a large urban center, you don't have to put up with a lot of the annoying waiting that city people do and long lines at things. And, and yet, maybe you're like me and you're already a pathetic waiter. Like for example, last week, I needed some fisherman friends. <laughs> so I walked into Pharmasave downtown here by the way, I was really impressed with how nice that pharmacy was. I walk in and no fisherman friends. So I'm a little annoyed because I'd already looked at another store, can't find them. So I had to pick another lowbrow cough candy or whatever you call those things, lozenges. And anyway, I grab it and I, I start heading over to the till with my one little package and I see, oh, there's one cashier and about eight people in line. I don't need these that bad. <laughs> and walked out. So that's my whole buying experience. But I think some of us are pretty pathetic at waiting at any time. We hate to wait. In fact, I'm sure that there are some families here today that probably had some arguments this morning coming to church because somebody had to wait for somebody. Somebody was in the car. Can I just say men never honk the horn? <laughs> 
you deserve to be in the doghouse for a month if you honk the horn. Especially if your wife's inside getting kids ready while you're being impatient. Anyway, that was totally, but oh, we all hate waiting, right? And we hate waiting all the time. Well, as, as we think about that and now apply that to Advent, and I've told you already that Advent is a time of waiting. And it's like, okay, well, what's fun about that? Well, part of entering into the waiting is to imagine the ancients, those that followed God before Jesus the Messiah came the first time. So here's my question for you. How long did the ancient followers of God wait for Messiah? Well, the answer to that question is actually more complicated than it seems. Because really, if you go back in Scripture, the very first prophecy about God sending a Messiah happens in Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning of creation. So, not to get into creation theories today, because wouldn't that be fun and controversial, but let's just suppose that that creation event happened thousands of years before Christ came. So what I want you to think about for a moment is, when we think about how long us followers of Jesus have been waiting for the second advent of Jesus, the ancients waited much longer for thousands and thousands of years of waiting before the promise was fulfilled. And yet what's so incredible about our scripture account is that for the hundreds of prophecies about the coming of Messiah the first time, they were all fulfilled in exact detail by Jesus. And there's twice as many prophecies about the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And that can really enlarge our faith. Now, knowing this dilemma of being Christians and awaiting Jesus coming and Jesus saying crazy things like, I'm coming soon, and us thinking that means like that kind of soon, not suddenly. And so for centuries, Christians and those mocking Christianity have often seen this whole second coming of Christ as something very uncredible and very mockable because you're waiting and waiting. How can you know this will ever happen? Well, the Apostle Peter predicted this, and he wrote a little letter, 2 Peter um, chapter 3. He said, you know, in the end times, people are going to mock and go, this second coming thing, ridiculous. Life goes on, it always has. You crazy, ignorant Christians, how can you believe such a ridiculous thing? That's a really loose paraphrase. But anyway, but then he says this, and here's the scripture exactly. He said, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I, I love this scripture because of how it presents God. And that God is that God who is completely overall and in complete control. And the scripture also talks about how in, in, the, in, in the exact moment, in the fullness of time, Christ came. God knew exactly when Messiah needed to come the first time, and God knows exactly when Messiah will come again. And so I encourage you, as I encourage myself, in that hope, even though it has been a long wait. So, waiting waiting for the light. 
this glorious light and hope that's promised. Now, next slide there. So have you ever felt in the dark? Now, there's a couple ways to understand being in the dark. For uh, some of us who are married, it's like often there's information that is withheld from you, and so you're in the dark a lot, right? (laughs) Some of you might think no churches are like that too. We're always in the dark about what's going on. Anyway, it's no fun to feel or to think that way, that there's information that we either don't know or that's being withheld for us, and we feel in the dark. Well, that's really not the darkness we're going to talk about today. But being in the dark, it is kind of true when it comes to the second coming of Christ. Because remember how, how what Jesus said. He said, you know what? No one knows the day or the hour. Neither the angels in heaven or the Son of Man, but only the Father. So yeah, we're pretty much in the dark about that, and yet the promise is given that will happen in the fullness of time. But that's that side of, of um, feeling in the dark. But today I'm talking more about the darkness that we feel. The darkness that we see in our land, in our nation, in our world. And the kind of darkness that we see that can really cause us often to despair. And while we're waiting to go, wow, this waiting is so hard because it seems like the darkness is winning. And that can be really discouraging. And that's what Isaiah is saying here, and you see the verse in the bottom there, Isaiah No, back the one there, Brent. Isaiah 57, just when he was talking about, there it is, we wait for the light, and lo, there is darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Now, maybe that sounds really depressing, but this is how Isaiah felt. And I'm sure many of you can feel this way. I know I feel this way at times. So waiting when the darkness seems so real, how do we... How do we live for the promise of hope while we understand the reality of this darkness that's around us? Now, the next slide, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, he gives this great statement of hope that we read last week at our first week of Advent. Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so this is a statement of hope that, yeah, in the midst of this darkness, God is in control, God has a plan, and this messianic plan is unfolding. And that is this light that we don't even understand or see yet, but that we hope in. And so that's what Isaiah is trying to portray. And he talks about this theme all through the very, very long Old Testament book called Isaiah. Now we're going to look at a few verses in Isaiah chapter 60, But just before that, Isaiah tells us a little bit about what he understands or sees the darkness to be in his culture in his time. And so that's in in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 13 and 14, and this is what it says. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. So here's Isaiah describing the darkness in his time, in his nation, in his culture. So let me ask you, doesn't this sound familiar? Could you almost write this about Canada? When we, when we look at our nation and we look around us, yeah, 
we see the rebellion and the denial of God in seemingly every area of culture. We see all the oppression and injustice. And, and especially when we start to look around the world, and I could cite so many examples of where human rights and all kinds of horrible injustices are happening. And that, that darkness is real, and it can be so sad to even have to hear the news about it. And even with our own nation of just seeing the injustice, seeing the marginalized and how they're, and how they're treated and how things that get so turned backwards, right, in terms of what was right is now wrong, what was wrong is now right, and it's such a confusing culture. And there's just so much room for us to just get caught up in woe. The darkness is heavy and the darkness is impressive. Impress, no, repressive. Let's get the right word there. So, in, in Isaiah chapter 60, though, Isaiah starts to look at this darkness and by the power of God speaking through him, wants to give us a powerful word that I think connects to our time too. So here it is, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. It was read earlier. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and a thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Pretty incredible words. Now, is Isaiah saying that, that somehow it's our responsibility or that God is just going to, in a sense, magically wipe away the darkness and bring the light? I think what Isaiah is trying to show us here is the battle, the incredible dark battle that's a reality. Isaiah is not saying here that we live in denial. So dealing with the darkness in our lives, dealing with the darkness that we see in our world around us, the answer isn't to just be in denial and to put on the phony Christian smile and pretend it's all going to be okay. That's not at all he was saying. He's saying, no, the darkness is real. But what's more real and what's more powerful, even the, the darkest darkness? That's what he's wanting to point us to. And so that's why he's saying we need to arise. A few weeks ago, I talked about doing everything we can to not fall asleep. There's a, there's a similarity here. We get spiritually sleepy. And when we're spiritually sleepy, we can get overwhelmed by the darkness. And yet Isaiah is saying to us, we need to get up. We need to wake up. We need to arise. And again, not to arise to denial and not to arise to just fear and, and that whole sense of being overwhelmed, but to arise to the truth that it's actually not about us or up to us, but ultimately it's God. It's God's glory. Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. The Lord raises you up. That's the most incredible thing about this promise. If I thought that this was all about me and you and us as Christians hoping that we could mobilize and strategize enough and figure out how to do all this and that we were the hope of the nation, I think I would still be living in the darkness. But when I understand that yes, he uses us, he empowers us, he calls us, yes, absolutely, but it still isn't about us. It's about the glory of God, it's about the power of God. He's calling us to arise. Yes, that takes a step of faith and often steps of risk, 
but it's not about us trying to figure out. It's not, trying, it's not us trying to even like stir up the energy and stir up the want to inside of us. That's the work of the Spirit. It's the glory of God. And when we seek the glory of God and submit to the glory of God and cry out for the glory of God, then there's power to arise. And that's what God wants us to see here. You're dependent on me. You always have been. You don't often notice it, but you are. And that's the glory he's calling us to. That's the hope in darkness is when we understand that the power source is God alone. It's his glory in us and through us that can change things. So that's one perspective. Let's read that scripture one more time. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, a thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So we're not just called to arise in order to go, okay, I'm awake now, I'm, I've arised, now I'm just going to put up with this darkness. God's going to make it right someday, so I'm just going to trust in him and sit back and hope. Because I've got the joy of the Lord, you know. <laughs> anyway, the call isn't just to put up with the darkness. The call is to shine in the darkness. We get to. We're called to. And remember, it's not our strength that does it. It's us submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God, to shine through us. We're like mirrors and reflectors of the light. We're not the source of the light. But we're called to shine. Shine for the light has come. When his glory comes, that shining is supposed to go to the nations. So I encourage us today to shine wherever God has placed us. In that workplace, in that school, in that family, in that community, in this church, wherever we are. Are we as followers of Jesus known in our workplaces in the community as the people of hope? Or are we known as the grumpy people who are always negative about everything? You know, and I'm so sad that often people see Christians as, oh, they're the ones that are always like, oh, this is bad, and oh, that's bad, and oh, these people are bad, and oh, we better be careful about this, and oh, look what's happening to our world. Now, is most of that true? Probably. But is that how we arise and shine in our culture? Is that how we arise and shine in our workplaces? Are people going to see the hope in the glory of God and the light of Jesus? We're the reflectors of that hope. Now, I've been illustrating this in Isaiah, in an Old Testament passage, and maybe some of you are wondering, okay, but that's Old Testament. (laughs) Is this the same call in the New Testament? Well, I could illustrate that a hundred different ways, but let me just give you one text here from 2 Corinthians. Listen to this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all... And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're now included. And we all who, with unveiled faces, contemplate, or in some translations, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are called to live out and be lights with unveiled faces. So what does that mean? Now, the picture is of another Old Testament prophet, 
Israel's most famous prophet named Moses. And the scripture tells us that when Moses would go up on the mountain or would go into this place in the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, that when Moses was in those places, his face would literally shine. In fact, his face shone so brightly that people couldn't look at his face, and so he would wear a veil to be around others. Now that sounds incredible. Can you imagine being in the presence of God and having your face shine? But that's the picture that the author of of Corinthians here is telling us, is that now as followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? We are now the glowing faces, the glowing faces of the gospel, all of us. And guess what? We don't need to wear the veil because we're supposed to reflect all of the light and all of the reality and all the glory of Jesus. Again, not because we're awesome, but because he is and he chooses to use us as a reflector. But that's our call. Isn't that incredible to think of that? Now, now, you know, how often have you seen someone literally glow? Well, you know, not, not, probably not often, but I bet most of you could think of a time when you met someone who just recently um, came to faith in Christ or recently just went through a whole spiritual renewal in their life or was just went through a time where they were just filled with the Spirit and empowered and there was just like this incredible transformation in their life that was just amazing and you could pretty much see it in their face. Have you ever met anyone like that? The, even their countenance looks a little different. Looking in their eyes is a little different. Again, it's probably not as dramatic as Moses away back. But you know, when true power of the Spirit and the joy of the Lord fills us, there should be something outward as well. There should be some light transformation in our eyes and our heart and our faces. That can be a reality too. Can I encourage you that way? I want to read you a quote from an author I read years ago, and this quote always gets me. He says this, Some of us feel defeated. Others are worn out and weakened by the increasing gloom in our world. Yet it is here where depression would otherwise capture our souls that we are commanded to rise. To throw off oppression is not, to throw off oppression is not just an act of faith, it is an act of obedience. It's time to cancel our plans to be miserable. Through the blood of Christ, we break our covenant with death and darkness, and we obey the voice of the one who calls us. As you can tell, my favorite part is, it's time to cancel our plans to be miserable. Can we rise above that, my sisters and brothers? Can we change how so many Christians are viewed as being the downcast, negative, grumpy people into bearing the image of Christ and arise and shine and let our countenance be changed by the Spirit of God transforming us so that we've got something of the beauty and the glory of God to shine and glow. Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't huge challenges in the darkness in our world. And remember, I said it's not about denial and it's not about avoidance. The darkness is there. And we're called to pray into the darkness and to live into the darkness and work into the darkness as the Spirit leads us. But we lead arisen in the glory of God. 
shining the light of Jesus in our faces. We, we, don't, we lead with the fruit of the Spirit. That's where we begin. And that's how the power of God transforms us. And that's how the power of God can begin to transform our culture around us. Now, I just... Just trying to sense what the Holy Spirit's saying to me here about this, but I feel like I need to do just a, just a quick aside here. And it's because... Um, I feel in talking about this, especially when I talk about darkness and bring up a word like depression, that I just want to be careful to say that um, mental illness is a very, very real part of all of our lives. Both experience and statistics tell me that probably everyone in this room is affected by it in some way, either personally or someone close to you. So I don't in any way want to say to anyone who is battling and struggling with mental illness and things like clinical depression and anxiety, I'm not in any way trying to minimize or in any way trying to say that you just need to be more spiritual and you'll be okay. I'm not saying that. If you're dealing with mental illness, you need to be going to your doctor and to your counselor and taking your medications and to be using every place that God has blessed this world with, with knowledge and understanding for you to be well. And I encourage you to do that. This is alongside. And you know, if you're struggling with mental illness or you've got people close to you, um, you need to know the deep love and compassion of your God. There is no condemnation. There is love and understanding for sickness and unhealth in your life or your loved one's life. You know, mental illness has had so much stigma and especially, sadly, in the Christian church. You know, if someone has cancer or diabetes, you'd never say to them, have more faith and go off your medication. And yet, sadly, with mental illness, people have often felt like, because I'm a bad Christian, because I don't pray enough, because I don't have enough faith, why hasn't God healed me? And there can be so much guilt and condemnation that doesn't help them or reflect anything of the heart and character of God. I just want to make sure that that, that, that part is clear. And yet, along with that, I do strongly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, in a Jesus that heals, and in the fact that spiritual community is incredibly and important and necessary in our lives. For mentally ill people as well, they need community, they need support, they need um, spiritual encouragement and the, and the power of God working along with them as well. And so, just want to encourage you that way if you're... If, you thought of that while you were here. But also, even as we think of being lights, our role in people's lives that are struggling with depression, that are struggling with anxiety, is not at any time to hear our, oh, come on. Oh, snap out of it. Oh, just deal with it. No, no, they need to hear the hope and the life of Jesus. They need to hear our love, our care, our concern, and our desire to help them be healed and to work through what they're working through. So I just encourage you in that reality as well. So sorry, that was a little bit of an aside. When I'm talking about the darkness, again, I've been talking about it in the bigger scale of what we see in our culture and world, and that's oh so true. But I also know for all of us, there's just lots and lots of internal darkness that we struggle with every day dealing with the negative thoughts, dealing with those condemning thoughts, those hopeless thoughts. 
dealing with just wishing things would be different. People we're praying for that things don't seem to be changing and we, we can deal with that all the time. It's real. That darkness is real and it's thick around us. And I think that's why we need this season of waiting, waiting on the glory of God and banding together as a spiritual community, say we're gonna arise together. We're gonna arise and have the glory and the power of the Holy Spirit fill us to give us hope in the darkness. Last verse is also from 2 Peter, and it points to Jesus, the morning star. See, the morning star is the first light of hope. It says here, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to the light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In your present, may the morning star of Jesus arise in your hearts. And as you look to the future, even in this dark and complicated world, that you look to the morning star. And as, you we, as we wait, we wait on a promise that is insecure in Almighty God, who's a fulfiller of promises and will fulfill his promise to come again and make his creation right again. Let's hope and pray and live into it. So bow in prayer with me. Well, Lord, as we bow in prayer, I'm, Lord, I'm just uh, so aware today of how my words are so useless if it's not your power that is speaking to people's lives. Lord, only you can testify that your glory rises upon us. Lord, only you can testify that your Holy Spirit can fill each believer and give them power and hope in the midst of darkness. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you reveal yourself to each person here? Lord, my heart goes out today to, to those dealing with mental illness. And Lord, I pray that they would know your closeness, your comfort, your love for them. Lord, I pray that you would bring them hope. And Lord, I also pray that you would give them wisdom and the right supports around them to get the help they need. And I just lift them up to you. Lord, I pray for those who have close friends or family members that struggle with mental health. Lord, that you would give them wisdom and deep compassion to know how to love their family member and friend and how to guide them well and be support to them. And oh Lord, we just pray for your power to be at work in this very real area in our lives and culture. And Lord, I pray for those that are, that are just carrying heavy burdens today. The darkness seems so overwhelming. Oh Lord, can you speak a word of hope to them? Can you reveal your glory to them? Can you assure them you're hearing their prayers? Can you give them strength to continue to wait and continue to trust? Oh Lord, show them that you are the promise keeper. And Lord, I pray for us as a church family. Lord, that as we wait on you to continue to transform our church, 
and to, to give us a hope in the future. Lord, would you give us faith and allow us to arise and shine because your light has come. So these things I ask, Jesus, and pray over this congregation in your powerful name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond today by coming to the table. So I'll just ask the worship team if they'll come and take their places. I'm, so just a few instructions of, of how we come to the table. First of all, if you are a follower of Jesus and this symbolizes your desire to follow Jesus, we, we invite you to come. What you see before you here is the bread and the cup. The scripture tells us that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is the bread of life and the bread that we take is symbolic of his sacrifice and of his life given to you. Scripture tells us that Jesus also took the cup. He poured it and he said, this is the new plan or the new covenant in my blood given to you for the forgiveness of sin. So these symbols of taking this bread, the life of Jesus, and taking this cup, the forgiveness of Jesus, that's why we come to the table. And you're invited to come today. And let me just say that all the, the communion bread is gluten-free as well, so all of you can come. So when the music starts in just a few minutes, you can line up in front of these tables and someone will serve you and you can come and receive the elements whenever you're ready during the songs and then, and then be seated. So just to prepare our hearts, I've prepared a little reading for us. I'll read the light print and I'll ask you as a congregation to read the bold print. And this is like an Advent communion service. So join me and let's prepare our hearts. Why do we give thanks at this table? We give thanks because Jesus showed us the way we give thanks because Jesus is the way. Jesus was a gift from God for the world. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus lived a life of thankfulness and gave his life as a sacrifice for many. We give thanks that he is our Savior, Christ the Lord. What do we remember at this table? We remember Jesus' birth and his presence as God with us. We remember Jesus' life and his love. We remember Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. We remember the resurrection and the promise of life. We remember that we are waiting in hope to see Jesus again. So come to the table. Remember. Repent and receive. Servers, would you come? Let's worship.
one more closing prayer for us to read together. All right. Well, following this is the lunch that the youth have provided. All things are good to go, Darren. All right, well, thank you, youth and Darren and youth leaders for doing this for us. So you are all invited, so please stay. I would love you to stay for the meeting, but it's not a requirement, so if you can stay for lunch and then you need to leave, no judgment, You're, but we would love to have you enjoy lunch with us and then to stay for the meeting. We'll try not to make it too long, but hopefully meaningful. Anyway, let me pray for the food, and then you are dismissed, and you can go get in line and start. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord God, thank you for uh, this celebration today. Thank you that you are great, and we sing to you and speak to you and pray to you our worship today. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for how you provide, and thank you that we get to eat this yummy food that the youth have prepared. And I just pray you'll bless our afternoon and bless this food, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.